Hey everyone, uh, my name is Joel Sangerman. I'm going to go ahead and, and kick off this call. Uh, as usual with, with conference calls that take up a lot of lines, we either have to ask everybody to mute themselves or I have to go ahead and automatically mute everyone. And invariably, uh, we need to choose the latter option um, because the noise can be a little bit much. Although, uh, I don't really hear too much noise right now. Um, but if, if we do start to hear cell phone noise, I'm just going to hit star five. So for now, since it sounds pretty good, uh, go ahead and, and mute yourself. So listen, I want to welcome everybody to the call. This is Ron Legrand's question and answer call. Uh, we're really happy to have the opportunity to discuss your deals, discuss your questions, and what amounts to an open forum that's held monthly. Uh, you've probably noticed by now that my voice is not nearly as sexy as Ron's, and, and that's because I'm actually not Ron. Uh, I don't think that Ron can be here tonight, so I'll certainly do my best to fill in. Uh, and again, my name's Joel Sangerman. I'll give you a little bit about me in a minute, uh, but first, a little housekeeping and logistics for this call so that we're all on the, the same page with the purpose and the process and, and the payoff you can expect for investing an hour here tonight. So uh, this is a call that's held the second Monday of every month. Uh, Gold Club members, those in the Gold Club, they can submit deals prior to the call, and we'll go ahead and review them right here in real time, live on the call. Now, if you're not a Gold Club member, you can listen but until you're a Gold Club member, you don't actually get to participate uh, with the questions and, and the deal-making. So uh, it's something to consider if you would like to participate in this real-time deal-making venture that we uh, will be on here shortly. Now, you can get more information, and you can sign up for the Gold Club uh, at www.ronsgoldclub.com. That's www.ronsgoldclub.com. So... The point of the call is to be able to ask questions, and the method to ask those questions is that you need to get into the queue so that you can discuss your deal. Now, if you're a Gold Club member and you want to ask a question or you'd like to discuss a deal that, that you've already submitted, you need to press star zero. That's star zero, and you'll be connected with an operator and you'll get into the queue. So before we begin the call, I think it's only fair that you have a little bit of an idea of, of, of who's speaking tonight, so I'll give you a little bit on me. My name, it's Joel, Joel Sangerman. A little bit on my background. I've actually lived in Ron's world going all the way back to the days when his courses were sold via eight-track tapes. Oh, at least I thought it was that long ago, but Ron actually asked me to stop saying that because he actually never had eight tracks. But I can tell you that I did repeatedly listen to Ron's cassettes over and over again, going back at least 20 years. And I can tell you that Ron is the best teacher I've ever had. That includes college. It includes sports. It includes my professional career, which I still maintain in healthcare, and using this learning system and the techniques that Ron and Global Publishing have perfected over the years, I've had the luxury of doing uh, both of these businesses, uh, the Ugly House business as well as the Pretty House business. Uh, ugly Houses, of course, is your wholesale deals where you can make some quick cash, your retail rehabs for bigger cash, but of course you've got longer paydays. Uh, and then certainly all the elements of Ron's term system or, or what uh, in Ron's world, we call the pretty house business. Uh, so that's going to include your subject to deals, your overfinanced homes that nobody else can buy except us, of course, lease options, which are sandwiches, sometimes they're acts, uh, sometimes they're just straight-up option deals, and then, of course, owner finance deals as well. So it's important for everyone to know that the system, and Ron in particular, aims to create transaction engineers out of his students, and ultimately it's up to you if you want to specialize in a particular area that you prefer or go ahead and be a generalist. 
and make deals on, on, on really whatever comes at you. It's profitable either way. So tonight and every month, there's an opportunity to calibrate your understanding, to calibrate your grasp of this system so that you can get better and so that you can make more money at it. So I can tell you that I've bought and sold tens of millions in real estate and profited handsomely. And still to this day, even as someone being asked to lead Ron's call, I always try to get on these calls. Um, I do use the Bold Club regularly and continue to be thirsty for the knowledge that you can gain through these sorts of events and these sorts of collaborations. So uh, you've got my commitment that I'll certainly do my best to answer your, your questions tonight. Um, again, it's star zero for questions. And I think what I'd like to do is ask the operator, hopefully uh, he or she can hear, if you could tell me how many questions might already be in the queue, because I'd like to be able to determine if I'm going to be long-winded or direct in answering questions so that everybody gets a, a shot here in the, in the hour that we have. Uh, operator, are you able to hear me? Yes. At the moment, we have a total of five in the queue with questions. Okay, five in the queue. So let me do this because that's not a huge volume of calls right now. Let me take uh, a write-in question that came across my email, <coughs> excuse me, a few minutes earlier. And it's a common question that I think may help many of the, the folks on the call. And if I can find the email here. Uh, this question comes from William Stiles. Uh, I don't know if William is one of the people in the queue, but William, William has uh, not indicated where he's from, uh, so I don't have the city for him. But William asks, when a seller has an existing mortgage and then sells the property to me with a wraparound mortgage, does that trigger the seller's due-on-sale clause for the seller's underlying loan? So, William, the short answer to that is yes, but it doesn't trigger anything. I think trigger is not the right choice of words. Uh, the bank has an option to call the loan due, but generally bank loans contain a, a, they contain a due-on-sale clause, and it gives the lender that option to call the loan due. It doesn't automatically trigger anything. Uh, in my experience, I've never seen them actually do it, even after the transfer of the deed, unless, unless for some reason they don't get paid, but uh, we've always paid. Uh, if they get paid, there, there's really not a good reason for them to call it due, the banks, they don't want to cut off the interest that they're getting. They're actually in the business of making these loans. Uh, you can turn on a television show and see that there's millions of dollars being spent trying to attract you through advertising to write loans so that they can collect interest. So calling it would be really silly because, um, because of that reason. And also, if they, they end up ticking off the owner too much, they do risk not getting paid. They risk getting the home back, potentially in poor shape. And it can create a huge mess. But it's an important protection to uh, put in a loan. And I'd say that if you're getting an objection like that from the seller, the, the answer that I would give would, be, would go something like, you know, yes, the, the bank can call the loan due, but it's, it's highly unlikely when the uh, payments are being made, which, of course, is exactly what we intend to do until it gets paid off. You could even go on to tell them that you have a colleague investor, uh, Ron. He's done thousands of these deals, and never once has he seen a bank actually call it based on the sale of the home. So uh, interestingly, if you think about it, 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 the same goes for leases, really. If, if all of a sudden you, Mr. Seller, are not an owner-occupant and you lease the property, well, maybe the lender has some recourse since the loaner was at, or the, because the loan was actually based on you living there as the owner-occupant, but you're not the owner-occupant anymore. So, so millions of people rent their houses all the time while an owner-occupant loan remains on the home. So just because the bank has the right to do certain things doesn't mean that they'll do it. So believe me, the bank doesn't want the house back. They want the interest that it generates. Uh, now, that's a very long-winded answer. Probably uh, the, the best way to answer it is just to tell them straight up, you know, it may be possible. Uh, it's unlikely. Lenders want to get paid. They want to get paid monthly until the loan is actually due. 
That's why they made the loan in the first place. And as long as they're collecting on it regularly, it wouldn't be a good business decision on their part to call the loan due and, and, and chance not getting paid any longer. And then if you want, you can go on to uh, uh, discuss a lease purchase if they're really that concerned about it. But I think anytime you can get the deed, you're better off getting the deed. So I'd, I try to handle that objection before immediately conceding to the, to the lease purchase. So, uh, William, uh, that is the answer to your question. Operator, do you want to go ahead and send over the, the first caller for us? Yes, our first question comes from Dale. Dale, please state your question. Where are you from? Hello? Yeah, is it Bill or Dale? Dale. Dale. Dale, where are you from? Uh, Melbourne, Florida. Melbourne, Florida. Okay, I thought you were going to say Australia for a minute, but I didn't detect this, the accent. <laughs> No, 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 no. Um, Melbourne, local, not too far from uh, where Ron is. Um, my, I have two questions, actually. My, my first question has to do with a subject to deal. Um, mm -hmm. In a situation where you purchase a home, a subject to, uh, you obviously leave the, the financing in the seller's name. Uh, what happens in a scenario where a couple of years later, let's say the seller needs to get a new loan and they can't because the debt to income ratio is too high because the existing loan is still in their name. Uh, what is the remedy for that uh, situation? Okay, um, I can discuss that thoroughly. What's the second question? Uh, the second question had to do with a uh, virtual assistant. Um, I was trying to find out what is the uh, percentage of deals uh, does Ron do uh, get most of his deals from virtual assistants calling uh, for sale by owners or does he do a lot of postcards uh, I'm just trying to get an idea it's, it's a service that I was considering so I wanted to um, get some direction in terms of you know do I have them just making phone calls primarily or do I do marketing on my own um, to supplement it Understood. Well, so let me answer the first question. Your question is when you're doing a subject to deal, do you put the seller in a situation where in a couple of years they may want to purchase another house, but now they have this debt in their name and no income to, that they can show to offset that, which hurts their debt to income ratio, making it almost impossible for them to buy a new home and then they're going to be mad at you. So is there a way to remedy the situation? Uh, did I well, answer the question correctly? It's more after the fact. I mean, they're they're not necessarily mad, but you know, they'd like to buy a home. <laughs> they would like to buy a home. So, uh, if a, if yeah. if the home has been purchased subject to, uh, and now they have cleaned up their credit and they'd like to buy a new home, yep. what are the options? I'm with you. Let me ask you: Did you already do this, and it's a couple years later? Or are you prospectively going to do it? Or are you just planning? No, no, no. I've already done it, and it's a couple years later. So. That's ah. what I'm, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, listen, uh, I've done the same thing, and uh, I, I don't think I'd be out of line saying that Ron has done a few subject twos before and maybe encountered that kind of a situation with your seller. So, you know, it's one of the reasons why we use attorneys to close deals and we disclose up front um, that we're taking over the loan and not paying it off. Now, Having said that, what I know Ron does going forward, because I've had this discussion with him and I've heard him present it from the stage, and it's actually something that sometimes I will do and sometimes I won't do, um, there's not much you can really do unless you want to change the terms of your loan with that seller to a wraparound mortgage so that he can begin getting income against that debt, but the lender is still probably going to want to see some seasoning of that income. Um, you know, or you could try a letter of explanation. Uh, there's things that you can do, and depending on who the lender is, if it's local versus national, you may get some flexibility. Uh, but on a go-forward basis, what you might consider doing is uh, offering that seller a wraparound mortgage, where you just wrap around the existing financing um, and, and create that sort of an instrument so that there can at least be shown in the situation that you're talking about later on where they want to buy a home uh, that there was income uh, literally going through them to the bank and 
that offsets the, the debt to some degree. Now, the downside of that is that there's some cost to creating that wrap, that wraparound mortgage that you do not have taking it over subject to. So you have to factor in things like what are my closing costs going to be? You know, are they behind on any payments? And I mean, if I'm making up a couple of payments and um, I'm not extremely optimistic that they're going to qualify for a new loan in a couple of years, I'll probably take it subject to because I don't want to have the extra expense. Um, but I will explain that to them and, and be fully transparent. The, the best way to, to solve for problems that can come up later on is to be fully transparent with people. And trust me, even though you think it might be an objection, they tend to appreciate it greatly and you still end up doing the deal. Uh, if the deal is going to be lost over something like that, then you can make a determination at that time to go ahead and wrap the loan and, and you can uh, pay those costs. Uh, you might even put something in there if you're really concerned about it that later on when things get so good that they can get a new loan that they pay you back those extra costs that you didn't have to incur. Uh, but that, that's, that's the solve, uh, the solution uh, for, prospectively is, is to do, is just do a wraparound mortgage instead of a, a subject to. Um, and if, and the solution for today is you're going to either have to justify it with the bank since it's already occurred. You can help them with that. You can show them that, um, you know, the, the payments were being made on the loan. It just didn't go through him, but effectively it was the, the same situation and, and, and go from there. So, uh, does that answer the first question for you, Dale? Uh, yeah, I, w I was actually looking at, at potentially a third option, which is which is um, paying it off, uh, paying no. the, <laughs> the underlying mortgage off. No. Well, I don't want to say no. I just why would you do that? With whose money? With your money? No, I would with I would money? get a private money and and and, oh. and pay it off with with that. Well, you're awfully generous, man. I need to I need to meet you at a meeting and have a drink with you. Okay, that that is not something that you would consider. Well, uh, personally, I don't know. I mean, I guess it depends on my relationship with the folks. I, I highly doubt that I would do that. Um, now, all of a sudden, I've got a private uh, party involved in 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 this. The deal's already been made. It's been going very well uh, for two years. Um, I mean, it's not mission critical that they get a house right this second. I mean, you can, you can go ahead and wrap it for them and talk with the lender and say, how much seasoning do you need on this? I'll, I'm going to give him income to offset this debt. How much seasoning before he can qualify? I mean, I'd rather go that route than go get a private lender involved. What's the loan to value on this house anyway? Um, against, the, against the value. The loan to value is maybe 30%. Oh, well, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I don't know if it's if if it's if it's the holiday season, maybe I might consider it. <laughs> but come January, I'll be back to my crotchety ways and probably won't do it. So I'll leave that ball in your court. You you can go ahead and do that if you want to with private money. The private money lender is extremely safe with you know 30% loan to value, and you being the the, the shepherd, still you're going to still uh, pay them. You can solve the problem. Uh, I think I'm just indicating that you don't have to because there are probably quite a few people on the call. Um, I don't know if anyone's in that current situation. They may be in that situation later. Um, but, you know, I don't want to leave the impression that you have to do that uh, for folks. But it is a generous thing that you're wanting to do. And, uh, and sometimes that comes back to you tenfold. So uh, if you'd like to do that, go ahead. But certainly uh, uh, that is not, that's never a, a requirement in the way that we structure deals up front. Right. Now, what, what I was saying is just, I'm just looking at, all the options uh, yep. in, in terms of, you know, what the possibilities are. I know doing a RAP mortgage, it would, it would entail me working with them a lot closer. And as you said, getting the seasoning, um, it, is, it is someone who has been very, very good to me, and there's a lot of equity in the home. So uh, it's not, you know, the balance is, is fairly minimal. It's not as if it's, you know, $100,000 that's owing on it. It's, it's you know, it's right. minimal. So. Um, and this is why there's no hard and fast rules to this. Everything is a mishmash of different variables that you consider in making decisions. And it's one of the reasons why I'm a huge advocate for studying the, the system over and over and over again and continually attending courses and learning 
from uh, the different courses that are available so that you can, you can think more intuitively on how to measure these variables and make creative decisions like you've come up with here are creative options anyway um, that aren't necessarily uh, written in the guidelines. But, you know, if you, the, the guy, you know, what if, what if the loan was only $100? Of course, that, you know, that, that amount of debt isn't going to prevent anyone from getting a loan. But when you talk about 30% loan to value, you know, you can help them out if you want to. But I'm not going to sit on a call with, uh, with everybody on here and tell people that they, they have to do that or they should do that because what, what people should do is be transparent in the front end, uh, review the possibilities, and uh, make sure that you're solving the problem in the most amicable way for the seller so that everybody uh, does what happened in your case, uh, treats each other well, and you get through the process swimmingly. Okay, okay. And uh, just a quick follow-up on that is, if I am, if I were doing the wraparound, then it would behoove me to to then work with a a broker, work with the the seller and the broker, and and, and find out the details of what it is that the mortgage broker would need in terms no. of fees and all of that stuff. No, you 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 don't you don't need a a broker for it. You just you just need to have a lawyer drop a promissory note and mortgage and wrap the initial one and record it and then begin paying on that note and more mortgage. Uh, depending on the entity and how you hold it and how many deals you've done, there could be Dodd-Frank provisions that make you need to use a broker. I don't know uh, that level of detail of your business, but your attorney will. So, but my first, my, my first uh, knee-jerk reaction is just go to the attorney, have them write a note and mortgage if you're gonna wrap it and, and go that route. And don't do it until you've explained it to the seller that you know, this isn't gonna solve the problem immediately. It may not solve the problem. Um, you know, sometimes they don't even give full credit for the income that's coming in against that existing debt. So, you know, that's a conversation that, that you should have with your with your attorney. Okay. All right. And then the the other question with the the yeah. um, virtual assistant and and um, the, the the split in terms of uh, success of them getting forced by forced by owners versus uh, additional marketing. Okay. So uh, the exact split is one thing. I can give you the hierarchy, and the hierarchy uh, in Ron's world is very similar to, to what I've personally experienced, and that is that the for sale by owner signs that are out there, and you have the pizza driver or the UPS guy or the FedEx guy you know, drive, driving the, the neighborhood and taking the photo and sending you the picture, uh, with the phone number, and then you give them five, ten bucks, you know, however you want to orchestrate it. I think the program is called the FISBO Field Agent or the FISBO Field Scout. There's probably a video on it on the Gold Club, hundreds of videos on there. You can literally lose, use the search engine to learn about these topics. But the FISBO Field Agent, uh, I tend to get the best response from that, closely followed by the yellow letter. When you send the yellow letter and the yellow letter has a Pat Live number on it, and then Pat Live asks a couple simple questions like, do you have a house for sale? And what's your name? And what's the address? And when the answer is yes, I will sell my house, then you give it to your VA. Your VA calls and they qualify them. They take the information down. They find out if they'd like to sell it uh, subject to existing financing, uh, if they'd like to, to uh, potentially lease purchase the home, or if they'll take monthly payments on their equity. A yes to any of those questions should send off uh, a bell in your brain to get on the phone and call that seller right away. Uh, but in terms of the hierarchy, which is really your question, uh, it's the FISBO field agent leads, followed by the yellow letters, followed by uh, the research and the sourcing that's done by your, your VA for FISBOs. And uh, you can have your VA go ahead and do that. You should, depending on what your uh, financial situation is, in terms of being able to invest in your marketing, uh, I prefer to do all three. However, you don't really need to. So let's just look at the lowest level of performance, which is having the VA uh, pull and source FISBOs, call them for you, and you don't even get involved until you see a sheet that has a yes to terms. So the, the math on that has been pretty similar across the country. And the math on that is generally 
that you need about 30 total leads or 30 total property information sheets to get 10 yes to terms. And if you have 10 yes to terms, then depending on how good of a closer you are, you can determine how many deals you're going to get. I think that somebody who's graduated from Quick Start Real Estate School one time, uh, even if they aren't perfectly articulate and perfect at the system, can probably convert one of 10 yeses. It would be a travesty if they couldn't, and something's broke in their understanding if they're not converting one of 10. So if we play out the worst-case scenario, getting one of 10 of those yeses to become a deal, generally, Ron likes you know 20,000 and above, but um, you know some people would probably be okay making a $10,000 option deposit on the front end and potentially monthly spread and and potentially a good back end spread as well. So so those are the numbers. You know, get yourself uh, 30 leads and you and you should have a deal out of it. If you if you become a really good closer, um, you know, and I'll, I'll tell you a couple of the best closers that I've seen are, are the Wolves. They're having a program, I think, in a, in a couple of weeks, an implementation workshop followed by an alumni event. You all ought to look into that um, if you get the opportunity. Um, but they probably close more than one out of, out, out of ten yeses. I close more than one out of ten yeses, but I'm also very, very uh, specific in, um, in, the, in the leads that I call back. Um, you should probably call your nose back. I tend not to do that just because I have a lot of leads coming in and I try to take the low-hanging fruit. Um, but if you're not wanting to spend a whole lot in marketing, you might have to go digging a little bit uh, through the nose to see if you can convert them. Okay, so just, just to recap, you said 30 leads to get 10 yeses to typically um, at least one, uh, one deal. Uh, so the, the question is uh, about how much uh, time in terms of a virtual assistant uh, would it take to get those 30 leads? Eagle VAs tend to get between one to two leads an hour, in my experience. So if we say one lead an hour, then that would mean that you would need six five-hour blocks, right, to get 30 lead information sheets because mm -hmm. in one per hour, you'd need so, and they're sold in blocks of, of five, and I think it's a little over $100. So you know you're you know you're in that six to seven hundred dollar range to get a ten thousand dollar check. Now there's work in between. It's not like you spend six hundred and seven hundred dollars and then and then all of a sudden a ten thousand dollar check comes at you. You know you are going to make some mistakes on the phone. You are going to need to record your call so that you get better at it and listen to you know uh, how you're coming across and um, and you'll be able to close uh, in due time being introspective and honestly evaluating what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong, you know, and, you know, that's another reason why a lot of people choose to use the uh, mentors as well. So, you know, there's a, right. if, if you have a mentor, you're, you're probably going to do more than one at a time. I'll tell you that right now. Right. I've, I've, I've done, I've done a couple of deals um, already. I mean, I, I just wanted to, to um, get an idea of doing the, the ego VAs because I just don't have the time to, to um, understand it any other way. Uh, I just need to be able to call the yeses. I have, I have no problem speaking to the phone and closing, but I just don't have the time to be speaking to everybody. So I already have Pat Live and I'm looking at doing the Eagle um, VA to just the Pat Live alone well, is just not, not enough. It's very well said. Ron has a, a book out called The Less I Do, The More I Make, and you are preaching his gospel, if you will, because uh, I think Ron even has an acquisitionist. He doesn't even really get involved other than uh, yes, no, sign check, deposit check. He probably doesn't even deposit the check, actually. <laughs> but, oh, but let, let me jump off because I'm sure other people want to ask questions, but I appreciate your, your answers here. Yeah. yeah, no, I think it's beneficial uh, for the group. That's why I'm spending time with you because you're, you're asking really good questions, and I think this is really important uh, for folks to understand. This is the crux of the business. There's an art to the business, and there's a science to the business. The question you asked, the second question, is about the science. The science is all arithmetic. How many lead information sheets do you want to have come in? It's not going to vary that much. You're going to get between 20 to, you know, 40% yeses, so let's call, it, let's call it a third or yeses. And if you get a third yeses, then what's your closing ratio? Well, if it's one of 10, then you need, you need 10 yeses or 30 lead sheets or six hours. 
and that's going to net you, you know, probably a minimum of 10 grand. So that's the science. That's the arithmetic. The art is getting good at it. And, and, and I think people need to concentrate in, in both areas. So, uh, Dale, really appreciate the questions. Uh, enjoy your evening in Melbourne. And, Operator, why don't we go ahead to the, the – the, well, let me ask you, are there four questions left now or, or have more people come into the queue? Um, we have a total of seven participants with questions. Okay. So I'll probably begin to go a little bit faster in answering these questions. I thought Dale's questions were excellent questions and hopefully it was beneficial for, for everyone. So let me be a little bit uh, less long-winded with the uh, next few callers and I uh, apologize in advance if um, I don't uh, give you an extremely thorough answer. But anyway, who's the second question coming from and where are they from? Our next question comes from Susan Ross. Susan, please go ahead. Hello, how are you today? Hey, Susan, very good. How are you and where are you from? I'm in Chicago and I'm looking forward to the Quick Start School. Uh, it's going to be next week, so I'm looking forward to going to that. Hopefully I'm going to get some deals called. Yeah. What, what part of Chicago are you in? Uh, I'm in Wheaton, outside of Chicago. Oh, okay. Now, you know that's my neck of the woods, right? So uh, I'm I'm in Las Vegas, but I do business in Chicago as well. So, Susan, I probably shouldn't take your question, should I? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm teasing you. That's a scarcity mentality. There's a lot of business and a lot of good folks and a lot of good investors in Chicago. I'd encourage you to get into their, their uh, Creative Investors Association there. I think it's run by, I believe her name is Jane Garvey. The CCIA. Yes, I I'm, a member, right I'm a member of CCIA. So you know they put on very good events there. They have very good speakers. And I've sold quite a few yeah. properties over there uh, going back years ago. Um, you'll, find, you'll find people there, uh, landlords who want to buy uh, your axe deals, and you'll find um, you know, people who want to buy your wholesale deals. So not everyone has the luxury of such a great association like that one that Jane runs in Chicago, but you do. So uh, I'd say use it. But anyway, uh, what's yeah. your question, Susan? Um, I was just, uh, I haven't got my first deal yet, so I'm still working on it. I've been uh, a Ron student since um, the end of last year. And um, I just was calling on a, a property here, uh, and the gentleman told me that he was leaving the country and that he wanted to sell his house and everything, but... He said he needs all the cash, and I didn't know how to counter that. So I was wondering if you have any tips on that. Well, did you did you get a property information sheet filled out with the mortgage information and the scripts that go, you know, to ask him certain questions? Yes, he said that he did not have a mortgage. It was free and clear. Oh, it's free and clear. Okay. So uh, the only thing that's holding him back from doing this deal is he needs some cash. He doesn't need all the cash, does he? That's what he said. He needed all the cash. But he's 81 it's, years old. I don't know if he needs all the cash. <laughs> well, what I found in that situation is you do have to follow the script and, and you simply ask him. So, listen, are, are you saying that if I don't give you all cash immediately uh, in 30 days that you don't want to sell this house to me and we can't do business together? And then you shut up and you wait and see what they say. And if he says yes, then I'd, then I'd say just go ahead and move on. You just don't have time to try to force a square peg into a round hole. Now, if he um, sort of hems and haws a little bit, you can say, listen, it's really not going to take that long for me to get you cashed out. I specialize in putting people in homes who I need a little bit of time to qualify for them to get a loan that will cash you out. So if you don't mind accepting monthly payments, I can give you monthly payments on this home for a period of time. It's not going to be that long until uh, you get cashed out. Mind you, that's going to be with no realtor commission, no crazy inspection hassles, and all the other things that come along with trying to sell a house in 30 days through a realtor. So now let me ask you again. Can, can, I, can, I, can, I, can you accept monthly payments on top of what you're going to get as all cash down the line when I get my buyer qualified? 
And if you can do that, I'll come out, take a look. And if you like me and I like the house, we'll write this up, and this won't be your problem anymore. Okay. That sounds good. I, You that, know, that, I've been trying to follow the scripts, but it's just like when I get on the phone with the seller, I go, okay, now I forgot what I'm supposed to say. <laughs> yeah, do not uh, – a tip is to not force technique. You ask questions, they answer questions. The answer to that question is on a flow tree, and you go to the next one. There's no need to persuade. There's no need to force. There's no need to get upset. You're trying to buy your, their house. These are the terms you can do it. If there aren't any terms, then there isn't any deal. Um, if okay. they hem and haw about the cash and you think that there's some room, you can t continue to press the issue a little bit and try to persuade a little bit, like I just did with you. But uh, generally, I've, I've found that the best thing to do is just say, look, um, you know, you understand how we buy it. And if, if you want to give it a try to get all cash right now, then, then go ahead. I'll check back with you in a little bit, if that's okay with you, and let's see where we're at in 30 days. Uh, or another thing that I like to encourage people to do is uh, to have a realtor on your team or to get a real estate license yourself. It does change. I, I don't have one, but I have one on my team. Um, but I don't think it's uh, a bad idea to get one or to have someone who you – you know, who you can work with so that you can say, look, if you really want to sell it for cash, uh, you know, I'm probably not your huckleberry as far as the buyer because I want to buy it on terms. I'm going to get you cash later, but you, you're needing the cash now. So what you're really talking about is needing, needing to use a realtor. Because I can tell you right now, the people who buy for sale by owner, very, very few of them are coming in with all cash. And the reason for that is the people who have all cash and who qualify for a loan, they look at realtor services as free because the realtor drives them around in their Cadillac and they, they, you know, get taken to Starbucks and then they go through everything and they, you know, uh, get to feel special. And then the person who pays for that is the seller. That's you. So if you really want to do that, you, you need to be in the game where, where, where the cash buyers are. And there's nobody better at the realty game than my wife, than my friend, than my cousin, than whoever it is. And go and get that listing for the person that's on your team so you can backdoor your way into these deals that you otherwise would have thrown in the garbage. Okay. Okay? Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Susan. Operator, who's next? Our next question comes for, from Rachi. Rachi, please go ahead. Hey, how you doing? It's Rachi. From, I'm from Chicago as well. Oh, okay. We're going to have a competitive environment in Chicago this winter, aren't we? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, a rising tide floats all boats, even in even in Lake Michigan. So, uh, to a, to a great degree, the more people. And I'll tell you, I mean, I I all the time I have people on the phone who tell me, "Oh, you're one of those lease option guys." Oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard all about that. But you know, in a lot of ways, priming the pump a little bit with other investors is not a bad thing. So, right, right. Uh, so anyway, uh, and uh, what's your question? And how do you pronounce your name again? It's, it's, it's Rossi, but everybody calls me Rock. R O C. R O C. Okay, my favorite actor. Can you do the eyebrow thing? Yeah, no, I don't. I don't do that. <laughs> All right, my friend. Well, what do you got? What's your question? Uh, uh, well, you know what? I got actually have a, a forms question. I'm I'm uh, looking to do uh, ax deal. And the only form I have not been able to locate is a, a very important one. I looked on the Gold Club. I can't find the, the right form, or at least I don't think it's the right form. I'm trying to find the, the form that you assign the deal back to the seller with. The one that's on the, that's on the Gold Club that I'm finding is only the one that assigns it to the, to the, um, to the buyer. Yeah. And I understand we don't do that any, anymore. Yeah, preferably not. You're better off assigning it, uh, assigning your deal back to the seller. Uh, but it's a real simple uh, solution. Your attorney is going to be doing that anyway, because by the time you have your buyer, you're going to have an attorney involved handling all the paperwork, and you're going to want to have an attorney do that in Chicago with, uh, with, you know, with a specific assignment form that complies with, especially if it's in the city of Chicago. Are you in the city of Chicago or in the suburbs? Well, I'm, I I do business in the city and in the suburbs, so okay. Well, I'll go back. Yeah, yeah. Just let your attorney handle that. Just explain the concept, um, and then your attorney will come up with the paperwork. 
most of the Chicago attorneys uh, make some minor edits to those forms, uh, as I've found anyway. So um, I think it would behoove you to let your attorney handle that aspect of it, and you just handle the deal-making part where you explain it to the buyer and the seller. Okay. Fair enough. So just, to make, so, so just to make it easy on the attorney, do you think that he could tweak the assignment form that's on the website? Yeah. And, and That's exactly what that's exactly what it'll do. There's, there's, there's virtually no difference. You substitute uh, some names, and um, you're good to go. And you have to extinguish the, you know, the other deal. But uh, he'll handle it. He'll know what you're doing. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Thanks a lot, Kevin. Yep. Thanks very much, Rock. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. Who's next, operator? Our next question comes from Julio. Julio, please state your question. Hi, Julio. Where are you from? Houston, Texas. Houston, Texas. Okay, very good. I just spoke with someone from Houston today on a, on a, on a non-real estate matter, so I heard it's pretty hot down there. Yep, yep. So what's your question, Julio? Well, we have, I have a lead for a seller with 16 properties. Um, this seller wants to sell them all at retail price, but he's open to terms. Uh, my question is, you know, what terms uh, should be negotiated with, with this kind of deal? Do you have, are they all free and clear or other mortgages on some, uh, some, how's it set up? Some of them have, yeah, some of them have mortgages, some of them are free and clear. Uh, he is open to owner financing. Yeah, I mean, um, I would try to structure it the exact same way. That you, are these all single family homes, by the way? Yes, they're all family homes. All, all single family homes, they're not multi-unit? No. Okay, so what conversation have you had with them so far? Just that he wants retail price and he's willing to entertain terms. Yeah, it was a referral, so we haven't really. Yeah, really I mean, these, there's a lot of people who do really well with these. I've never done one with that many properties at one time, but I've done it where we've picked up two or three uh, several times, and 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 they can be great deals because you you, you get it all done at once. So, uh, you know, what, what I would personally prefer to see you do is um, just ne ne negotiate each of them and, and have each of them as its own deal because you're going to want to sell each of these to a uh, owner-occupant buyer probably on a lease purchase. So owner finance all of these, and I think what I'd express to them is, look, man, if, if you're going to get all these properties sold in one shot with no realtor commission, uh, and you're going to have me paying, you know, damn near retail value on this thing. You need to give me the ability to make a little bit of, uh, you know, a monthly spread here. So let's go through these properties and, um, you know, and figure out what the least you can take on this is. Preferably just taxes and insurance if it's free and clear because I'm going to get you cashed out more quickly that way. And if there's a mortgage, um, you know, hopefully we can keep these payments down low. And by the way, if you're going to get retail uh, cash for this thing, uh, I'm sure I can assume that, you know, you're not going to need a down payment on these because you're getting all of it on the back end anyway. That's fair, isn't it? Yeah. And have that, and have that conversation uh, with him. And my personal preference would, would um, be to go ahead and just buy all of them, but, but go ahead and, and, and knock them out one by one because you don't, you don't want to tie it up with any kind of – I don't think you want to tie it up with any kind of all-inclusive financing, which then puts you in a spot – um, as you begin to, dis I don't want to say dispose, but as, as you begin to sell the properties to your buyers. Now, you could get an attorney who could probably structure it and put language in there that releases, you know, properties from, you know, an all-inclusive loan as you go. And, you know, that might be the way Ron would recommend doing it because it would be less hassle. Um, but I just personally, it's a single-family home. I just personally rather keep it, keep it separate. Plus, I don't really want to own them all in one entity either. Um, you know, I want a separate land trust for, um, you know, for each of these homes. Okay. All right. Thank you. Fair enough. Thank you, Julio. And enjoyed uh, Houston, Texas. Great place. Operator, uh, I want, uh, how many questions do we have left in the queue? And uh, who's next? We have four with questions, and our next question comes from Jerome. Jerome, please state your question. 
And I think we should probably, if we have four more, let's go ahead and close it off because I don't want to keep people uh, too late here. Um, so uh, let's close off the questioning. We got four more. We'll get to you guys. And uh, Jerome, where are you from? Hey, how's it going today? I'm calling from um, Douglasville, Georgia, which is like 30 minutes outside of west of Atlanta. Excellent, excellent. You're putting me in the mood for peaches. I'm gonna have to have peaches for dinner tonight, for dessert tonight. I hear you. I hear you. I don't have any cream, unfortunately, so you end up sending me to the grocery store. <laughs> yeah, I um, I had a quick question. Um, and I know Ron has like a lot of students in Georgia, and I'm working on a deal right now. But before I want to get on the contract, I want to make sure the contract that I'm using is viable for the state. And I reached out to a couple of attorneys, and for whatever reason, they reached, they contacted me back, but they sent me their contract. So I mm. wonder how should I, how should I proceed with that? Should I just say, okay, let me go look for another attorney, or because I sent them the, the contracts I would like to use, you know, Ron's contracts I like to use, and for whatever reason, they sent me back their contracts, and I got this from two different attorneys. So I'm just trying to see what direction. Yeah, I mean, I, listen, my. I, I do business in multiple states. I can't imagine that Ron's forms are, aren't perfectly valid in, uh, well, uh, valid in Georgia with a minor tweak here and there, but the wholesale change of boilerplate uh, puts a lot of work in your lap because you're going to need to understand what they changed and why. And there's really all that language in the standard purchase and sale agreement is very standard. And they might want to add some things in an addendum. I've had that happen many times. But the wholesale trash, the standard purchase and sale agreement from the Gold Club sounds a little bit ridiculous to me. So um, what what you might do, well, first of all, I wouldn't hold up your uh, purchasing of properties based on getting a nice tight form from the attorney, although, you know, it would help because the, the peculiarities of each deal and the nuances of each deal are going to necessitate uh, possibly putting different things in the, in the contract later anyway. So uh, and, and depending on what you're going to do, listen, you go get a uh, signed purchase and sale agreement. You don't even really need an attorney at that point unless you're going to close on it yourself immediate, immediately. Okay. Uh, but if you're, okay. if you're going to be assigning the contract, um, you can always go find your buyer first. And if your attorney uh, wants to adjust something, I think you're going to have a more than willing seller, especially if you get, you know, let's say you get a deal for $200,000 um, and, you know, you're only having to put, you know, uh, zero down or 10000 down or something, and then you go get uh, your buyer and they've got 30000 to put down, um, you know, and you've agreed to, to split it with your seller, you know, they're, they're going to want to accommodate. So if the attorney uh, has some things that make sense, then you can go ahead and yield on those things. But to wholesale change paperwork is a little bit scary. You're going to have to really review, and you might not even understand every little thing that got changed. So I would much rather find an attorney that just says, hey, I just want to change this is to of and this and to or, you know, and that kind of a thing. And, uh, and I want to add this uh, municipal addendum in or something along those lines. Um, but, I, you know, I can tell you, that contract uh, is extremely, uh, well, I don't want to say extremely standard, but because standard covers it. It's a standard purchase and sale agreement. There's nothing funky or unique to a particular state uh, in that contract that I've found in the states that I've worked, that I've worked in. Okay, I got you. Now, I just kind of wanted to be sure because I just didn't want to get a property under contract and then all of a sudden something comes up where, hey, you can't use that here. I just want to, you know, just want to make sure I'm yeah. on the safe side. You know, that, that, that's the only thing I was worried about. I just want to make sure I'm doing everything, you know, on my part. Because like I said, I didn't totally understood. Yeah. Totally understood. I Go to one of the creative investor meetings and okay. see if you can, uh, you know, talk to other investors and get, get an attorney who's more investor friendly, uh, who understands what's, what's going on and, um, and, and go from there. I think that would be the best thing to do. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, that, that was just my main question. That's all. I just wanted, like I thought, yep. I wanted to be on the safe side. You know, just hey, it's, it's, it's always good to try to look and be on the safe side just as long as you, is, you're getting good advice and uh, it doesn't block you from taking action. And, okay. you know, I, I want you to go out and get deals um, and get them signed. 
you know, the paperwork just memorializes what you and the seller agreed to. And, you know, per the conversation I had with Dale earlier, you know, it's human beings dealing with human beings. The paperwork memorializes it. So what are you going to do? You get a seller who signs your paperwork and then you find out something's wrong, you know, and the seller changes his mind. Well, you can use the paperwork to stick it to him and try to sue him for specific performance and get him to sell. But are you really going to do that? You know, if all of a sudden there's – the bottom line is agree to the terms of the deal in spirit and then memorialize the deal in writing. And if there's something that needs to be tweaked in writing, as long as you have two parties that are on the same page with what the structure of the deal is, it ought to be able to be worked out. And if it can't be worked out because of something silly or someone changing their mind, you might be better off because if you, what you get early on with people is a lot of times what you get later on with people. And if someone starts being a pain in the ass, you might want them out of your life. Excuse my language, but you might want them out of your life. Well, I understand. I totally understand. Um, I thank you for the time, for your time, and I appreciate everything that all all you guys as a whole do. You know, and I'm looking forward. I'm looking to get to the real Quick Start Real Estate School in Houston month after next, whenever that is. But I'm the month after next, I believe. It'll be it'll be a fantastic experience for you for sure, no doubt. I continue to go to the Quick Starts. Um, I, I learn something new every single time, and there's nothing like the excitement of going to your first one. So highly recommended for sure. It'll be a phenomenal four days. So thanks, Jerome. I appreciate it, and uh, have a great evening. Uh, operator, who's next? Our next question comes from Joyce. Joyce, please state your question. Hey, Joyce, where are you from? Joyce? Joyce? Operator, I think we lost Joyce, so why don't we go ahead and go to the next question. Okay. Our next question comes from Jarrell. Jarrell, please state your question. Hey, Jarrell, where are you from? Hello, good evening. I'm uh, from Neptune, New Jersey. Nice. What exit? Uh, 100. <laughs> That's a good number. Yeah, yeah. Now, what's uh, on your mind, you Now, I I have my license. I have my license since February, and um, Great. so I do a lot of prospecting. You know, calling for sale by owners, calling expired, and I wanted to target expires. And a lot of expires that I'm coming across are short sales. So I was mm -hmm. wondering, how would I price a short sale house to my end buyer? Well, my personal opinion is to price it very, very low because the seller isn't going to get anything anyway. And you tell them you're only pricing it low so that you can get something on con under contract so you can then begin the process, the long, arduous process, generally speaking, of negotiating the short sale. So what happens is you, you, you have a willing buyer, and, and then you can run it through the, the process. They're going to send a uh, – they're going to get a BPO, a broker price opinion, and then your your price may be less than that, and uh, the bank is going to have to make a determination on what they want to do. Um, I mean, I wouldn't price it like for a dollar, but I would price it low enough where you might have competitive offers within one week. Okay. So I'm I'm talking with uh, doing doing the lease option. Um, well. But you're going to do it. You're going to you're you're talking about buying it, or you're talking about listing it. I thought you were talking about listing. No, no, I don't care about listing it. I, I'm talking. Oh about my bad. I'm sorry. When you mentioned you're a realtor, I immediately got put into that that frame. So so your plan, your plan is um, to go ahead and uh, buy these overfinanced homes instead of short selling them. Yes, I don't. Yeah, I'm, I'm okay. not even care about being a realtor. So, I'm trying so to the only that. thing that really matters on that is how behind they are in payments or if they are behind in payments. And I think that's the first thing that you have to learn is are your payments current? If your payments are current, I can get you out of this without doing a short sale and potentially compromising your credit. But I'm going to need a long-term lease. Okay. And, I'm, and, and, then, and then what you do is you make sure that the um, – the rental that you could garner is, is more than what the payment is on the loan. And it, I mean, I've found lately that they are because loans are made with such low interest rates now that usually you can cover it with, 
I mean, I shouldn't say that because, you know, in certain places that's not true. Uh, and I'm not sure, you know, exactly where exit 100 is in New Jersey. But, um, but nonetheless, now you have a whole world of buyers out there who have cash, and you can assign that deal, collect cash, and then they and then they just begin taking over uh, the 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 uh, effectively taking over the loan for the homeowner. I mean, I'd rather do it as a subject to deal than as a, as a lease option, because you know why not just give it to you subject to the existing financing so that you don't have to deal with them and eventually it gets paid off. But if they're concerned about you know their name, their credit, they want to hold the deed, they can continue holding the deed, but it's got to be a long term lease so that the equity has a chance to catch back up. All loans that are 30-year loans, I don't care how far behind they are. I mean, I'm sorry, I don't care how underwater they are. All loans get paid off in their term. So eventually, the equity catches back up. So, you know, try to get a, a lease term for as long as the remaining amount of time on that loan and then allow your tenant buyer, who you're selling it to, to uh, come in and begin making payments on that on a long-term lease. And eventually, you know, most people don't stay in houses 30 years. Maybe five, six years later, uh, the equity's caught up. Maybe there's been appreciation, and then uh, that person can actually sell the house, and they may actually walk away with money okay. because they're, they've got all that time to build up the equity. They get the debt pay down and potential appreciation, and you're the only one who is able to do that for them because they can't get a house anywhere else. The buyer is extremely happy with you, and the seller is ecstatic because now they don't have to take the hit on their credit for, for doing the short sale and have their credit cards canceled and all the other stuff that comes along with that sometimes. Okay, okay. Now, so say I, I do, I, I get a short sale uh, prospect, and my negotiation with the seller is that my purchase price at the at the end of the lease term is the, um, whatever the loan, whatever the debt is when I purchase it. So now what what is the purchase price that I'm, advertising to the to the end buyer that that that's a very good question and i and i would advertise it for uh higher than what the price is uh or not put the price in i've done it both ways because people will ask you they'll say well why am i paying 299 for this when all the houses around here are selling for 229 and you have to explain them because you have to explain to them it's because the house is is over leveraged you can you can effectively pay down this debt, get appreciation, get the equity build up, but I can't sell you the house for less than what's owed on it. Okay, okay. Yeah, that's why I was stuck. I'm like, wow, like how much And most of the time you're not gonna hold those. You're not gonna stay in those. So uh, you know, the the price um just becomes the mortgage balance at the time of close, but advertise it wherever the mortgage balance is and then explain to your buyer that that price is going to go down with every single payment that you make because your price is actually the mortgage balance. If you're going to stay in it for, for you know some reason, a lot of landlords will do that. They'll get these overfinanced homes. They make the cash flow spread. They don't care what the value of the house is. They care about the cash flow spread. They know that over time that equity gets built up and that loan gets paid down, and then they have the asset for free. Okay. So that's another strategy as well. Yeah, that's ninja stuff there. I, I like that. You like the idea? Yeah, I like that. All right, that that's good. I'm good. Okay. All right. Uh, it was it was uh, Jarrell, wasn't it? Correct. Okay. Well, thank you, sir. Have a great time in New Jersey and have a wonderful evening. And operator, uh, go ahead and and uh, let's put the the next one online here. Our last question for tonight comes from Joyce. Joyce, please go ahead. Uh, this is, is this Joyce number two or Joyce number one or the same Joyce number one and number two? This, this is Joyce number one and number two. All right. Well, you get a twofer. <laughs> Where are you from, Joyce? Well, I'm from Detroit, Michigan, but I'm here in Jacksonville, Florida, getting ready to okay. move to Houston, Texas. Excellent, excellent. Um, I can hear you faintly, um, but go ahead and ask your question, and let me see if I can cover it for you, Joyce. Okay. My question is, um, I've been to a lot of events and dealing with uh, real estate. This would be my first time. I haven't um, made my first deal yet, and I've been reading books and reading, going to events, and I'm getting frustrated. 
But every time like, someone tells me, oh, you don't need money to wholesale, and I'm like, why it seem like they're lying to me? Can you elaborate or can you make something clear of this? Yep. That, it, it, I can make it crystal clear. And the reason you don't need money to wholesale is because your asset that you are going to sell is a piece of paper. Okay. You create that piece of paper with your mind and with the skills that you've learned by going to Quick Start Real Estate School or whatever other training that you've had. So you have a house for sale, and I say, hey, Joyce, what's the, what's the least you could take for this house? And we, and we come to an agreement on the price. Okay, that works for me. Um, when can I meet you to get the paperwork taken care of? You meet them, you sign the deal. Now, you're driving home in your car and you're saying to yourself, oh my God, I just contracted to buy a $100,000 house for $60,000. Where in the world am I going to come up with the $60,000? These people were lying to me. These people told me that uh, I could do this no money. Die. I just signed up for $60,000 and I don't even have 60 cents in the bank. Exactly. That's your question, right? Yes. And you're not lying, Joyce. Here's what you do. Not specifically, but uh, generally. This is what you do. You call up your boy, Joel. That's uh-huh. me. And you say, hey, man, look at these comps. Same exact model match, same home, same street, all sold for $100,000. I've got this property that I've got under contract for 60000 If you okay. can just see your way to give me $10,000, you're going to make 30000 on this. Can I assign this contract to you for $10,000? Mm-hmm. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to say, well, will you take 1000 And I'm going to negotiate with you, right? Because that's what, you know, a, a, a retail rehabber is probably going to do. But how happy would you be if you got that deal for 60 and somebody gave you $5,000 to assign the contract to them? Oh, I'll be happy. Then there you go. That's how you do it. No money down. You no, use your mind. You use your skills. You get a piece of paper that says you have the right to buy something for X price, and then you assign it to somebody else for a fee. Or you can do a simultaneous close. Maybe you go find the end buyer on this house, and you bring both parties to the closing table. One party has 90000 to buy your $100,000 house, and the other party, your seller, uh, is expecting sixty. The closing agent goes and gets the ninety from your buyer, goes into the other room, gives the sixty to your seller, and Joyce walks out with thirty grand. It happens every day in every city in the United States. That sounds good, but I'm like, right now I'm not convinced because I didn't, I didn't try to, like, look. I don't know what I can do to convince you um, other, other than uh, you're probably going to have to see it to believe it, and I'll tell you this. Exactly. I'm, I'm ex-military. I'm retired from the military, so my, you got to show me. <laughs> you ought to be from Missouri. You mentioned Michigan. You mentioned no, Florida and Texas. But you ought to be from Missouri. Right. Missouri, Missouri state. but you got to show me. <laughs> listen, listen, I swear to God on my life that people do this every single day, wholesale properties, and uh, you can make money with just a signed piece of paper and, and, assigning, and assigning it. And uh, it's, it's, it's done even on multi-million dollar uh, properties. The people who go out and find McDonald's locations, go and get an option on a property, and then they sell that option to the McDonald's corporation and, and make money. They didn't put any money into it. So you're going to learn all of this. And the, the truth of the matter, Joyce, is you will actually see it happen before your very eyes at Quick Start. Although uh, the focus isn't really on wholesale and, uh, and retail and these kinds of deals, because frankly, they're very simple, um, okay. but you will, see, you will see deals made right from the stage. You will see live seller calls um, uh, outlined right on the stage, and you will see how, how this business is done. And if you still don't believe at that point, you can always hire a, uh, a mentor through Global Publishing who will, who will force you to, to, to see what happens, because... Uh, what I just described is ex- exactly what happens um, uh, in people with people trying to wholesale I mean, property. If the deal, if I can get the deal, trust me, I believe it. <laughs> so I would have to sit up there and go through all the formatting and everything I need to go through in order to see if it actually exists. Because I mean, 
there I've met people that's in the real estate investing, and then but I also um, I didn't know what to do with it. Uh, I met a real estate investor, and she wanted to offer me um, a house. It was seventy nine thousand, but she wanted me to give her three thousand dollars non refundable fee. So, but the um for it had like between I would have to spend about forty thousand dollars in repairs. Yeah. And the house was uh it wasn't under contract or anything like that, but I was like, Wow. I said, Okay, but she, she wasn't giving me all the information so I was like, Nah, mm-mm. that's a little bit too much for me. Well, I'll tell you what, let me close with a little-known secret for you here, Joyce, that I think will benefit anyone who's left on the line uh, who may not already know this. But I said at the beginning of the call, there's an art and there's a science to this. The business that you're talking about doesn't require that much art. It's really science. And the science is this, is that you take the after-repaired value of the house, which you identify by doing a comparative market analysis, which... uh, uh, you'll learn if you don't know how to do it. You look at your comps, you determine what the after-repaired value of the house is. You multiply that number by 0.7 or 70%, and then you deduct what you estimate the repairs to be. That is your maximum allowable offer. You begin negotiating at an offer lower than that. And if you okay. get anything between that and your maximum allowable offer, you go and you sign that deal. And when you sign that deal, you now have an asset that you can sell. And that's what you'll learn in Quick Start Real Estate. So let me go ahead and close with that, Joyce, and wish you a, 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 a wonderful evening to Joyce number one and Joyce number two. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, and maybe we'll see you down there in Jacksonville. All right. Sounds good. Okay. Uh, operator, uh, uh, I, think, uh, I think that about does it. So anyone who's left on the call, Greatly appreciate uh, your time. Uh, Again, these types of collaborations are fantastic. Hope we can be on the phone together. And if I see you in an event, uh, please come up and say hello. I always enjoy networking with folks, and I learn something every single time. So uh, it's really been a pleasure, and everyone have a wonderful evening.